0: Today, on Easter Sunday, in the country of Sri Lanka, several coordinated bombs ignited in multiple churches and hotels. They believe that at least 140 people were killed and 560 injured in what seems to be a very coordinated terrorist attack. The first wave struck at the heart of the country's minority Christian community during the busiest Easter services at churches in the cities of Colombo. There was no immediate claim for responsibility for these attacks, and Sri Lanka security officials are left searching for what's next. The violence ends a decade-long relative peace in Sri Lanka following a civil war that lasted until 2009. But even when the authorities identify the perpetrators, what has happened today has happened before, and it'll happen again. This is not a fight between religious factions. It's not a fight over a war of transcendence or religious ideologies. This is a human struggle of selfishness, of control, fear and hatred and subjugation and power and bigotry and darkness. And the words of you two nearly three decades long come flooding into my ears. I can't believe the news today. Oh, I just close my eyes and make it go away. How long, how long must we sing this song? Broken bottles under children's feet, bodies strewn across the dead-end street, but I won't heed the battle call. It puts my back, puts my back up against the wall. Sunday, bloody Sunday. And so we turn to the Easter narrative. The scripture reads, After the Sabbath at dawn, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, and an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men." The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried off to the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. As 1941 was drawing to a close, Europe and Asia were on the brink of utter defeat. The Germans had defeated Eastern Europe. They had France and Spain and Norway and Finland and Africa in their pocket. The only remaining strongholds was England. And in the west, to Russia. Yet, this blitzkrieg was, was terrorizing both of these countries. And so it could be said in the Pacific, where the Japanese completely dominated the water and the air. In November of 1941, it seemed that victory was in sight for the Axis powers. But a curious thing happened. The Japanese made a maneuver to secure, secure the South Pacific, and they bombed the United States military base at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. In Berlin and Tokyo, the Germans and Japanese celebrated the devastation and marked it as a tipping point in their favor. But what the Japanese believed to be a crushing blow of submission and defeat, the Allied forces had a rallying cry. An act of aggression plunged the United States into World War II, and in less than four years, they defeated the Japanese and the Germans and the Italians. What is that catchphrase, don't count your chickens before they hatch? You see, we were left on Friday with the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the ruling elite counting their chickens before they hatched. They had successfully put an end to this rebel rouser out of Nazareth. Their plot was to have this man arrested, falsely accused, beaten and killed, and they thought it worked. In fact, they were able to do it in the middle of the night where the mass of his following was unable to hear the news. This Galilean had gone throughout the works. They had punched him, spat upon him, flogged him, whipped him to a bloody pulp, and then sentenced him to death on a cross. Crucifixion were common in the first century. It was a fairly standard punishment for rebels. It was the way that the Romans said to their foe, We rule, and this is what happens to those who revolt. Crucifixion was an unspeakable horror, with its victims left on the cross for several days, pecked by the birds, and gnawed by the vermin. It was debilitating to face this execution. And it was to warn others. You remember in history where Spartacus rose up and it's said that roughly 6,000 of his followers were crucified along the Appian Way, making more than a cross every 40 yards for 130 miles. Anybody, and especially slaves, walking along this road would see this and remember And as we discussed last week, Jesus has committed an act of insurrection. This is why Jesus was crucified by the Romans. But it wasn't just a political point in Jesus' day saying that if you defy Rome, this is what happens to you. It was in fact Jesus rebelling against their system in which it said Caesar is Lord. As one author put it, in the crucifixion of Jesus, the kingdom of God does fail. It is weak. It is crushed with this message of love and peace and justice and truth that the principalities and powers of government and religion armed with spears and swords and crosses, they unleash their hate and their force and their manipulation and their propaganda. But then morning breaks on Easter. Little did they know that their celebration of crushing this rebel was over. If you haven't learned one thing about me uh, since birth, I am all things Star Wars. In fact, my children presented me my birthday gift this year, which was an uh, indoor commando hat, uh, Return of the Jedi reference, and some socks that had Darth Vader that said, uh, greatest father. Uh, no, anything in context, he's an awful, awful father. And Disney did me a solid, they released the new Star Wars trailer on my birthday this year. So one of my favorite movies that's come out in the last couple of years is Rogue One. It tells the story of a fledgling days of the rebellion against the Galactic Empire. Nothing, absolutely nothing was going in the favor of those who wanted to stand against the Emperor and his dark associate Darth Vader and these stormtroopers. Now the Empire has built this planet destroying weapons. It seems no hope is left for the rebellion. Hope is what they needed in order to do a daring mission and something that they must hold on to and never stop believing in. If the rebellion is going to fully stand against the empire, it must stand and hope. Yet they're left with these questions. They're left with doubt. And one of the greatest lines from the movie, it says, what chance do we have? What choice do we have? Run, hide, plead for mercy, scatter your forces. If you give into an enemy this evil, with this much power, you condemn the galaxy to an eternity of submission. The time to fight is now. This is our chance to make a real difference. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. And so this small band decided to go rogue against the rebels and to choose to fight the empire. I think if we are to properly understand the Easter story, we must understand that it is God going rogue. The ministry and message of Jesus sets the plans, the death gives the vitality, and the resurrection ignites the hope to the world. Easter tells the story of God going rogue. It's God clashing against the kingdoms of this world with an eternal and ever-present life-giving kingdom. Easter tells the story of God stepping forth in this man called Jesus, the God-man who chooses to be nailed between two criminals. We call them thieves, but the actual Greek word used there is lestai, which actually means uh, insurrectionist. It means treason. It means rebel. So traditionally speaking, Jesus is crucified between two insurrectionists. It is no question that Jesus was not viewed in such a light. Remember when Barabbas is presented by Pilate before the people, Barabbas is described as an insurrectionist, a man guilty of sedition, a leader of a riot, and the people choose to set Barabbas free instead of Jesus. In fact, many scholars have recently argued that the glaring facts that Jesus was crucified, a capital punishment reserved for insurrection between two less dies, two insurrectionists, only shows that Jesus' ministry and message was a threat against Rome. Jesus was a rebel. The ministry, death, and resurrection are the chapters of God's rebellion. When we walk back through all the encounters, all the parables, all the clashes with the religious system and the week of Passover, we see that Jesus was a rebel. It was a rebel against hatred and injustice. It was a rebellion of God saying that the subjugation of Rome and its like will not dominate this world. It is a rebellion against the powers of darkness and death and destruction. Theologically, Jesus was and is a rebel against the way of the world and the way we have twisted the way God created us to be and turned God's world upside down. Jesus' ministry and invitation is an invitation to rediscover a world of peace and goodness and gentleness and joy and self-control and compassion rather than the dominance of hatred and greed and self-centeredness and compulsory urges and dissonance and war and violence and sadness and despair and brokenness. Jesus' Life, death, and resurrection are the single greatest acts of insurrection in human history. God is making the empire of the world known that there is a hope and goodness more powerful than anything we can create. God is going rogue through the Easter story. Rebellion was nothing new to the ancient Hebrew people. Their nation was built out of the exodus from Egypt, the campaign against the Babylonians that ended the exile as a result. But nearly 160 years before Jesus' birth, the Jews had successfully rebelled against the puppet ruler in Rome, known as the Maccabean Revolt. It began with this domineering rule of Antiochus who took over the temple and put in this pagan statue in the middle of the Jewish temple. The people rallied behind a man named Matthias. They overtook the city and the region, and the Jews had their independence. And for nearly 40 years after Jesus, the Jews would rebel against Rome. And Rome destroyed Jerusalem and scattered the people. But these rebellions were different These were human rebellions against a shift in balance and power. God is rebelling through Jesus was quite different. In fact, believe it or not, God is still going rogue. This is a rebellion not just subject to the first century. What God is doing through Jesus is replacing a corrupt kingdom of this world a corrupt kingdom that draws borders and nationalities and genders and ethnicities and economic status and measure of societal worth. When we truly begin to engage the power of God seen in the resurrection, we see what Jesus is truly trying to do in this world. It is a rebellion against the slow and dictation less of of death, of, of destruction, of consumerism and political idolatry and empty promises and false hopes and materialistic dreams. God is stepping to the side of death and giving us eternal and abundant life. Jesus is rebelling against the system of living that would have us be slaves to our money, slaves to our relationships, the ravaging emotions of envy and jealousy and hatred and grudges and emptiness. Jesus points us to a better way to rebel against the life that has been forced upon us. In God's rogue kingdom, the poor, the hungry, the sorrowful are called blessed. The marginalized, the outcast, and the shun are said that they inherit the kingdom of God. In Jesus' subversive rebellion, love overcomes hate. Grace overcomes judgment. Physical retaliation is met with compassion. In Jesus' rebellion... Serving is done in secret and not for an award. Treasures are not built up in our little plastic kingdoms, but in an eternal kingdom. In Jesus' rebellion, worries are turned into hope. Sorrows are turned into joy. In this spirit rogue movement, the poor are given good news. The prisoner are released. The blind are made to see. And the oppressed are set free. God is going rogue against the lie that we cannot be more than what we are, that sin and brokenness should reign in our lives, and that fear cannot be overcome. As one author put it, before Christianity was a rich and powerful religion, before it was associated with buildings and budgets and crusades and colonialism and televangelism, it began as a revolutionary, nonviolent movement promoting the kind of aliveness. On the margins of society. And all this is possible through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Rebellions are built on hope. So the question of Easter Sunday arises is whether or not we will rebel with God? Easter begs the question will we choose the empire or choose the rebellion? There's always an empire. There will always be a physical human empire that personifies domineering power and injustice and corruption and hatred. There will always be an empire of society and culture convincing us that personal abundance and self-centeredness and apathy and self-indulgence and prosperity is what's best for us. There will always be an emotional and spiritual empire waging war against our heart and our soul. The empire is easy. The empire has tangible power and success and strength and profusion. The empire requires nothing but subtle subjugation of our life and our deepest desires. And then there is this countercultural way of rebellion. As NNT Wright put it, the resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has launched here on earth. The measure of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and you are now being invited to belong in it. The rebellion has a cost. It requires hope, sometimes an unseen love without measure, faith and confidence in the present and yet to come. The rebellion is not a selfish way but a selfless and self-giving way. It requires no small commitment, but a complete recentering of our life Away around this rogue leader. You see, the rebellion of Jesus is an invitation to completely shift our lives away from brutal violence and oppression, away from judgment and marginalization of others, away from self-centered power. You see, the rogue leader is getting rid of hatred and greed and self-centeredness and compulsory urges and dissonance and war and violence and despair and brokenness. Instead, this rogue leader is inviting us into grace. Grace and peace, and hope, and joy, and self-control, and compassion. Our rebel leader has called us through weakness, through vulnerability, death, and the power of resurrection to be a people of transformation in this world. Our rebel leader has called us to a new way of life through faith in him. Will you choose the empire? or will you choose the rebellion?